Hi, welcome to Beef Cattle Institute's Cattle Chat. I'm Brad White. Happy to have you with us today and happy to have our crew here in the studio. Good morning, Philip. Good morning, guys. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. <laughs> this microphone's falling apart at the start of the morning, but good that's start. good. That's a good start. Hey, guys, we've got a good program today. And as always, we appreciate you sending in those listener questions. And we've got three that we're going to address today. One about colostrum supplements, one about getting ready for calving, and one about the time of year that that is best for calving. So all about calving stuff today. Before we get into that, guys, I had a, you know, it might be a million dollar idea on the way in this morning, but I got to share it with you to kind of assess what competition is out there. And I'll, I'll tell you my idea. But first, what if you're going to go buy one of those scented things that you put in your truck, what scent are you picking? What mm-hmm. smell are you going to put in your truck? Yeah, I don't know. I'm- like old school, like pine tree, or I, maybe I don't. Know. I haven't had one of those. In my I, I honestly for a don't have one. A long time. It's like been. You guys been don't have enough old wet stuff dog. <laughs> right. I mean, old, old wet dog. dog. That's what I have right now. It's old wet dog. <laughs> so, but then yesterday, I'm out, and it's that time of year. You're walking around. You got your rubber boots. You walk out. You're feeding, doing stuff, and then when you put your boots back in the truck, and it kind of heats up, everything melts off. That aroma of you think fresh be, cow manure and a, melted just snow. Just back of your... That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. I told that to my son. He like, said, so in the middle of summer, it would remind you. Yeah, it would remind you of how great it is to have that fresh smell there. And, uh, and it covers up every other smell. It does. Right? So. You don't have to worry about any other smells. I told my son, he said, yeah, I could probably retire and do that. I don't know if he was being sarcastic. I don't oh, think I'm so. Sure, no. <laughs> no, I don't think so. So that was uh, that was my idea. I hope nobody takes that. And if yeah. I see those, it, and it and could be shaped like a rubber boot, right? Boot. The thing that hangs on your yeah. window. Or, or shaped like a cow pile. Or shaped like <laughs> a cow pile. Yeah, I've given this a lot of thought. But I'll, <laughs> ke- I'll keep kind of working you it out. You keep working that one. I think uh, Shark Tank is, is calling your name. Yeah, I, that would be great. They, I think they would love it. Let's let's maybe do some listener questions. Okay. <laughs> so one of our one of our listeners asked a question and, and ask about commercial colostrum replacement. So we've talked before about that colostrum gives that passive immunity to the calf, and if we have a dystocia, difficult calving, a lot of times we want to be sure that calf gets colostrum. Beef cows can be hard to milk out, or we're not sure if he got it. So sometimes we'll use a commercial colostrum supplement. The question from the listener is, are there any risks associated with those commercial products? And Bob, I'm going to turn to you first and maybe define what I'm reading into the question as disease transfer risks. And and maybe talk a little bit about what disease transfer risks we might have from non-commercial colostrum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so kind of the options, if you have, a say, a, a cow that had a difficult birth, and so she's not getting up, she, the calf's not vigorously getting ready to, to, to suckle, so, so we give them a, not colostrum from the cow, but from someplace else. And one of the other places you can get it is from, you know, a dairy or somebody that stores colostrum. The problem with that is we know of a couple of diseases that can be passed through colostrum, bovine leukosis virus, BLV, Yoni's disease, those are two diseases that can pass through the colostrum. And so I I guess my recommendation is don't go outside the herd for colostrum to bring that in. So I wouldn't go to a dairy or another herd and bring in outside colostrum. Fresh colostrum or frozen. Or frozen, frozen. either way. Either you're going to bank your own colostrum from your own herd, which that is not very practical. That means milking out beef cows, and they don't have that much colostrum to start with, so... Uh, you're not going to do that. So you're really your only option are these commercial colostrum replacements. 
And so as far as I know, I'm not aware of any concern that they would pass those diseases. So they are very safe from that standpoint. The, the one, and it's, it's not a safety issue, it's just a balancing concept is it's not as good as real colostrum. So there's other, there's other things besides just antibodies in cow colostrum that are very valuable to that calf. And so these colostrum replacements aren't as good as real colostrum. So my only concern is if I give them a big meal of a colostrum replacement, and then pretty soon the cow stands up and the calf would suckle, I've just delayed when he's going to suckle real colostrum. So that so I don't say there's any danger, but and, and it's not a big concern, but I, I really want that calf to suckle himself. So I'm really only using those replacements when I'm pretty sure he's not going to suckle for any the foreseeable future. Well, that's, yeah, do you want to wait, you know, 12 hours or so or if you know how many how long you want to wait and to get yeah. a chance to get up and suckle and, and that's why that's I, I probably would go ahead and pull the trigger and give him that colostrum supplement and then hopefully he's ready to eat again you know in four or five hours from his own dam and get that colostrum and i, I think that would be sufficient so it's it's just so basically no i don't see any real negatives other than i wouldn't just rush in and give colostrum replacement in a calf that i thought was going to do pretty well i'm not going to I'm not going to try to overcompensate, but in a calf that needs it, he needs it. But back to the, so I'll go back to the question briefly. So when we talk about disease risks, you mentioned a couple of diseases that we're concerned about. One is, one is viral, one is bacterial. And both of those through the process of making that commercial colostrum, we don't have any risk for transfer of those diseases, even though they can be transferred from fresh colostrum. Yeah, correct. Okay. And even frozen. And even frozen. Yeah, uh, fresh frozen. Yep. So, and then back to the risks to the calf, there's maybe a bigger risk, the way you okay. described it, of not giving colostrum. Yeah. Supplement. And then one other risk, I guess I would show out, uh, shout out, is, well, you've got to give the colostrum correctly. And so occasionally we'll see, you know, you've got a tube feeder and it needs to go in the lungs or it needs to not go in the lungs it needs to go in the stomach and if you but the the trachea and the esophagus are right next to each other and so it's really important that you know how to use that uh, esophageal feeder that you get the calf up in a position you know up on his chest and and apply that colostral feeder or the you know the esophageal feeder appropriately because i don't want to get that into the lungs because that can be really damaging so the dangers maybe have more to do with just it's not the product really it's the administration so you want to make sure that you're giving it well that you're being gentle that you know the calf is you know able yeah well you have to know what you're doing what you're feeling for to be sure that you're in the right spot and you have to have the calf positioned appropriately right calves that are laying on their side it's not going to work yeah if he's just Uh, flat out on his side uh, that's not going to work very well i'm going to get him up on his chest um i I use the esophageal feeder, and if you've never used one, probably a good chance to you know have some instruction, have somebody that has some experience with it. And you should be able to feel that esophageal feeder, the end of it, go down the left side of the neck because it's going down through the esophagus, yeah. which you can feel if you place your hand on the left side of the neck and you can feel it go by. Well, and you can feel the trach... I mean, if you put your hand right, you can feel the 
trachea, which is the windpipe, which feels ribbed. And then you can also feel that, okay, this other thing I felt go by was not in the trachea, right? I've got my fingers on the trachea and I go, okay, that thing was not there. Yeah, exactly. So just a little bit of, you know, experience is great. Now, the the question is for someone that doesn't have any experience, how do you get experience? Well, I would have somebody watch you a couple of times and make sure you're doing it right and get some instruction. Uh, it's, It's not rocket science. It's not particularly difficult, but you can do it wrong if you're not careful. Yeah, and we we do want to be sure that you avoid any cross contamination. The other the other piece I would share is some sometimes when you're pulling it out, be sure that it's empty. Be sure that you kink it. Be sure that you're not leaving a lot of backwash into the back of the throat or pharynx as it comes out, because it's easy for that calf to breathe in and get that stuff. And everything we're doing, trying to avoid getting it in his lungs. Yep, exactly. And one other thing, and you, you briefly mentioned it, but cleanliness. So. Um, we want to, after you've used this with this calf, uh, clean that esophageal feeder really well. And hot water is probably good enough, uh, but a good cleansing uh, because we're going from one from the mouth of one calf to the next, and, and we want to make sure that we're clean. Yeah, absolutely. Keep that separate. So just minimal risks with that, and, and I think choose which product you want to use. Ideally, the colostrum from the cow, but that's not always possible. That's not always, yeah. So our next listener question, guys, was from a relatively new producer. I want to get ready for the calving season. And what should I have prepared ready to go? Well, there are several things that that are really important. One is um, because we're really concerned about that difficult birth. And probably the most important thing you need is is make sure you have the information you need. Um, So phone number of your veterinarian. And, and some sort of calving training. Again, that might be, you know, a, an experienced person on your ranch or operation that kind of goes through the, because you want to be clean, you want to be gentle, um, but you want to know when you can apply pretty good force and when to not. So those are all just kind of the, the skills that come with experience. And a lot of times veterinarians will have training. Um, here in Kansas, A.J. Tarpoff does some great uh, extension meetings with calving schools, uh, those types of things, so that you feel comfortable, so that you have the knowledge. Now, once you have the knowledge, you also need some equipment. Um, I like a good, uh, you know, a good pair of calf chains uh, that you can clean easily, and it's not a bad idea to have some extras, some sort of a handle, and a lot of times we'll lose those handles. So really any, you know, even, even a an old uh, broom handle or something like that cut off into about eight inch sections. You can wrap chains around. It, it, you you lose... just get a handle. Oh, but they're expensive and I lose them. If I had this old eight inch piece of wood, I never lose it. Uh, so... <laughs> or just get a handle. Or just get a handle. Okay. <laughs> but so you need some of that equipment and you're going to need a bucket. You're going to need some disinfectant because again, it's really important to stay clean. I'm trying to not introduce, um, you know, bacteria into that birth canal and those kinds of things. It's not going to be sterile, but I do want to be really clean. Um, and and then, uh, you know, so I've, I've got the knowledge. I've got some equipment. The other thing is just is the facility to um, confine the cow. And squeeze chutes aren't my favorite for dealing with a difficult birth, but sometimes that's all I have. Uh, what I prefer is like a head catch or even a halter with a good post or something like that. So a, a, a good facility, again, cleanliness um, with good lighting would be ideal. So sometimes that means bringing in some electrical lights. Uh, sometimes that means having an area where you can keep it scraped and cleaned and brought in uh, fresh straw, those types of things. So I think of good facilities, good equipment, and some knowledge. Those are the, 
maybe the keys to start with. I don't know what other other ideas you guys might have. Well, you took all the good ideas, I think. <laughs> Philip? Well, so I guess we were just talking about colostrum and difficult births. So, I mean, I think some things to make sure you've got on hand are some colostrum um, and the esophageal feeder so that you've got it because you don't have time to go get one um, when you need it. Um, and then also some uh, milk replacer and bottles. So if you have a calf that you have to start bottle feeding and then maybe even have it a plan and, and stuff to cross foster calves um, so that you don't have to bottle feed a calf for a long period of time if you've got a cow that lost her calf or whatever. So having an, a plan to be able to, to get that cross foster um, set up and the, the facilities to be able to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I would expand on both of you guys mentioned facilities. And I think one of the things that's really important is having a plan for whatever pasture they're in when we're calving that I have a mechanism to get them from that pasture to wherever I need to confine them. Because sometimes it's that's a walk, sometimes it's we're going to have to load her on a trailer, sometimes we're going to have to do something different, but have a plan for doing that. Or I may have a portable pen that I'm going to set up that I'm going to use if I have to catch somebody there, but I'm going to set it in an area that I can easily walk them in and, and get them in. So I think having some of those things is going to be important, but Bob, briefly, uh, give, give me an idea of, you said I need to have my vet's number and I need to kind of understand what's going on. Give me a trigger of when I should call. Okay. Basically what I like to go by is cows that don't progress. And so if, and it, it's basically the same rule for both heifers and cows, but heifers, um, uh, it's basically the same rule, but with heifers, I'm going to watch them more frequently because I have more calving difficulty in my heifers. And what I'm looking for is, you know, those first signs of, of impending birth might be just being, you know, uncomfortable. But if she's laying down and pushing, I need to see progress in a half an hour. And if I don't see consistent progress uh, each 20 or 30 minutes, then something is probably needing to be evaluated. Absolutely. I think a good point there. So progress, 15 or 20 minutes, if I see a foot, if, it, if I don't see more in 15 or 20 minutes, it's time to call, intervene, think about doing those things. So the one other thing that I, that I would recommend is it's exciting when that's going on. Go ahead, write that down. Yeah, write, no, down, the time. write down the time so that you know when to call. So great answers to that question, guys. And, and we'll keep moving down our listener questions here because this one, I think, is a, a really good one. And, and from a producer that said, I decided to switch my time of calving to January so that my calves would be bigger by the time I, I got to fall. Uh, and I would avoid calving in the mud and muck that is March, right? So, and, and all of those things are true, but then there are some trade-offs because the weather's not always great in January. Uh, I've got to think about different things going forward. So I wanted to ask you guys, and, and their question was, what do you think about that idea? But I'm going to expand it, and I'm going to ask you guys, when is the right time to calve, and how do you make that decision? And, Philip, I'm going to start with you. The right time to calve is a tough question because it's going to be different for everybody because there's going to be different situations. Um, from a nutrition standpoint, I my personal preference start calving about a month or so before green grass really starts to take off and grow so that I've got high quality green grass about a month or so before the breeding season starts and I'm and she's grazing high quality forage through peak lactation 
so that I can keep her in good body condition score with minimal or probably no supplementation and no feed. And so that's, that's the time period of the production cycle when her nutritional requirements are the highest. And so I'd really like to match that up with the time of year when my forage resources are the highest quality. But that doesn't always work well for everybody across the country and depending on their personal situation. So, so yeah, I think where you are in the country matters a lot because the first question is when do I have real good green growing grass? And so around here, you know, we talk about first of May turnouts, but honestly, grass doesn't really peak or get good until another couple of weeks. So early to mid-May. And so you're talking about an early April calving, which actually works really well from a health standpoint of the calf, weather-wise, nutrition-wise, there's a lot of real positives of April calving, not January or February or March, but April. Now, there's a couple of disadvantages. One is if you're in an area with a lot of corn and soybean farming, well, that's planting time. And so you're aligning calving with planting, and you need to think about the labor constraints of that. The other is if you're talking about an April 1 calving, now we're turning bulls out that last week of June or so which honestly works pretty good from a number of standpoints. Uh, I consider, you know, late, late June to not be particularly hot, not the worst part of the summer or anything like that, but July's coming. And, and so, and so kind of because really hot temperatures can impact fertility. Uh, and so I'm trying to, but, but again, I'm going to say actually April 1 is my favorite for this time of, for this area other than the crop farming. Because a lot of your calves then are, or cows are going to get bred that last week of June, the first couple of weeks of July, probably before, you know, we really get into the hot, hot time of year. Uh, but that becomes my constraint is, well, now I've got bulls out there when it's pretty darn hot. Yeah. So that's, that's the balancing act. And it's different for every part of the country. Latitude yeah, cause is different how, in North Dakota than it is in Oklahoma. Yeah. When is my grass come on? Do I have a warm season forage that comes on later or a cool season forage that comes on earlier? And then how far into the spring and summer can I go before I'm trying to breed in really hot weather and my um, fertility drops off because of the heat. And so there's, there's, a, there's your balance right there, I think, in my opinion, of trying to find the optimum calving time. So you guys have talked about feeding the cows, getting, making sure the cows get bred, both of which important big things. But the output of this system is calves. And so if you calve later, then my calves aren't as heavy if I want to wean them before we get into winter. If I keep my weaning time consistent, my calves aren't going to be as heavy. So how, how do yeah. you factor that in the equation? So that, that is important to consider because you've got, you've got the calving season to consider. You've got the breeding season to consider. And now you've got the, the calf that's being marketed. And I actually did some just kind of work looking at the different months of the year, you know, ideal time to calve. And there's always trade-offs, particularly when you include breeding time of year, calving time of year, and then marketing time. So are you marketing 500, 600 pound calves? Uh, when would those calves be five and 600 pounds? And how does that go with the seasonal markets? If you're going to hold on to them and market them as yearlings, how does that fit? If you're going to go all the way through to, to finishing, you know, on kind of a typical growth, well, what you end up with is there's no perfect month that aligns where all of those are just ideal. But you do have to consider your marketing and your cost of gain. So if you're in an area where you can get some feedstuffs and maybe wean those calves at about the same age. No, let me say different. Actually, wean them at a lighter, younger age, but about the same time of year. So before winter, 
for spring calving herds. So they are going to be lighter and younger. But if I've got the feedstuffs available, just go ahead and grow them out um, for a few months at a good cost of gain. And you can hit some decent markets with those calves, but it does involve more calf management on your part rather than selling them shortly after weaning. Mm -hmm. And if that's an option for you, then I think that's an option. If it's not, then that impacts your decision. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. And there was some research um, out of, done in Nebraska where they looked at different calving seasons and, and weaning those calves at different times. And they're lighter. If you, cal you calve later in the spring, the calves are lighter when you wean them. But the, the trade-off was that I didn't have to feed those cows through that high um, nutrient requirement time period of early lactation. And in those studies, remember these are in northern latitudes, so they take that into account because it didn't affect breeding very much. But um, they, they were actually more profitable with lighter calves because they saved so much on winter feed costs of not feeding those cows during that early lactation period. So less income from the weaned calves, but way less winter feed costs. Yeah. And the, 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 the improvement in cost more than offset the decrease in income. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think as you guys talk about those calves going forward, the other factor is when you're weaning now. So sometimes we'll have people that are weaning their calves at eight, nine months of age. So you calve in January and I'm weaning them in September or October. Our weaning weights may not change quite as much as we think if, we're, if we calve a little bit later and get them there. Because as you go into that, especially, and we're talking spring calving herds here, at least I'm, I'm thinking about that because... That of the question that we had from the listener, your weaning weights through that period, those calves aren't gaining a lot. And like you said, I may be better off to wean them and feed them. Yeah. And that's something to consider. We, we talk about calves, you know, from birth to weaning, gaining to two and a half pounds a day, somewhere in that range. But it's not, that's not an even line. It's not the same number throughout. And as you get, uh, it goes, they actually gain better than that when everything's going well, the grass is green, they're getting, you know, really good nutrition. But as you get into the, as the grass becomes dormant or less of it, they, they're not gaining the same that they were a few weeks earlier. And if I knew that, if I had daily weights on the calves, I'd probably wean them and start them on a higher plane of nutrition because they're, they're teenagers. They're ready to grow if you just give them the groceries. So you, you may want to wean at a lighter weight and provide a different sort of feed, source of feed than just pasture. Yeah, and and then we didn't really talk about fall cal I mean, if you flip all the way to the other end of the calendar, fall calving, that allows us to hit, you talked about markets for calves, that spring market for feeder calves is going to be typically higher. And there are some advantages to fall calving, but Philip, I probably some disadvantages too because you talked about feeding my other cows and now i'm feeding them their whole lactation period yeah so there's so there's a little bit of increase in winter feed costs but th there's a the interesting thing about fall calving is i've got that cow's not doing much of anything through the summer if she's in mid gestation or late gestation grass is good she's going to gain body condition really easy she's probably going to be more of a body condition score six when she calves instead of a five and I can actually let her lose a little body condition as like she goes through the winter because she's, she's going to be bred before a really hard winter gets here. She's going to be bred in d November, December, maybe January before a really hard winter gets here. So I got a little cushion built into her energy reserves there. The other thing I like about it is I have a calf who's a, who is the milk, milk supply is really low. He's pretty much on forage. He's got a, a good functioning rumen. 
and he's hitting that early spring grass when he is just ready to take off. And so I can keep him around a little bit longer um, on spring grass and then maybe sell him in June or July um, at a little bit older, a little bit heavier weight. But I, I put really cheap gain on him through that early spring period. Pretty easy to do what Bob said, which was keep them a little bit after weaning, have them start gaining and going because you've got that green grass mm-hmm. coming on. So great, great job answering listener questions today, guys. Appreciate you joining us. And as always, if you have other questions for us, you can send them to us at bci at ksu.edu. Mm-hmm.